With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Hey, Giants fans, welcome to episode 117 of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm James Cratch. Joined, as always, by Dan Duggan. We cover the Giants for the Star-Ledger, NJ.com, NJ Advanced Media. And Dan, the last time we taped the podcast, we were sitting in our cars, frigid Meadowlands. <laughs> we were talking all about Eli Apples a Thursday afternoon. We thought that podcast would be you know, the newsworthy thing, the big news. We thought the Giants had to be done with all their bombshells that week. Uh, and we were wrong because a couple hours after we finished taping the podcast, I think basically right when the podcast got hit iTunes and NJ.com and everything, the Giants hired Dave Gettleman as the new general manager. Uh, we're not even a week into his tenure. And to quote the man himself, uh, he's kicked some ass and taken some names. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's the perils of uh, doing a once a week podcast. Sometimes uh, it can get stale pretty fast. Um, yeah, we didn't see the Gettleman hire coming. I think the uh, not not that we didn't see the hiring coming, but the timing. I think we all suspected they were going to wait a little while till after the season so they could interview some uh, some executives from other teams. But now, in, in hindsight, uh, I can understand why they didn't because you do realize how fast the coaching carousel works. And the fact that if you want to interview guys who are, you know, on their bye this week, like the Patriots coordinators, um, you need to have your GM in place. So I didn't love the idea that they pulled the trigger on Gettleman before talking to an Elliot Wolf or Nick Casario. But again, in hindsight, I, I can at least understand uh, the reasoning. And, and maybe it turns out the, that it was the right move because, uh, you know, things do move fast. And if you didn't have a GM in place, you'd really be kind of behind the eight ball, the coaching search. Uh, and, and Gettleman has certainly... I think turn things around, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to make a bad first impression. I mean, I guess unless you're like McAdoo and you wear your dad's suit to the, the opening press conference, most of these guys kind of kill the opening press conference. I mean, if you're, if you're good enough to get your foot in the door, you can usually handle that pretty well. Uh, but he really, you know, came out like gangbusters. Um, you know, I, I did a poll on Twitter after he got hired and it was like 65% of the respondents weren't happy with the hire. I did the same thing on Saturday afternoon and we'll get into why those approval ratings up so much. And it was 88% positive. So, uh, you know, as he said, as you said, he came out, uh, came out of the gates kicking ass. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that from day one, he had his introductory press conference on Friday. Uh, it was obvious how different he is from Jerry Reese. I mean, Jerry Reese is a guy who hated to speak to the media was just so uncomfortable and awkward in those kind of you know press conference settings. Uh, Dave Gettleman ate it up. 
I mean, he came out, he takes a jab at us, the writers, for mentioning his age often. Uh, he, you know, he, he kind of, uh, he didn't offer too many specifics about what he wants to do with the team, but he made it very clear, I think, to the Giant fan that's watching that he knows this. what has happened here is unacceptable. I think the offensive line is clearly going to be his top priority. And I just thought, you know, he just, he seemed to be, I always figured, I think we all wrote this, that he was going to be a better kind of front-facing voice for the Giants, and he definitely was. I think he was in command of the room. I mean, he even fumbles his water bottle, and, you know, that could have been kind of a, a gaff moment. Hmm. Uh, and he kind of even played that off seamlessly, you know, picked it up, kept rolling. Uh, a lot of notable quotes. I mean, he just, he, he won the press conference, but that's easy. I think the big thing that Giants fans are now liking is that there's been some, you know, he, he's followed up his words with some action Saturday. I was actually at my sister's wedding, so you handled the bulk of this, but he cut, he waves Bobby Hart, who apparently, you know, I guess decided he didn't want to play anymore and, and had a bad attitude. And he also, and this, this was, I think the biggest surprise we've had so far. Uh, he dismisses Mark Ross uh, the draft boss, you know, kind of Jerry Reese's right-hand man. And I don't think it's a surprise that he got rid of Ross, but it's a, he got rid of him now. I think most of us figured Mark Ross would stay on until the draft. That's usually how it works uh, when you have a general manager turnover. But I guess, you know, Dave Gettleman, you know, for whatever reason, he decided that Ross had to go now. And I think that's something the Giants fans were really relieved by because they felt this could be, you know, John Mayer has said this is a wholesale change. But I do think it would have been tough to sell that narrative if they had kept Ross in place and basically the, the front office under Gettleman unchanged. Yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, Al Pacino and the Godfather setting all family business. And again, that's why the approval ratings, you know, shot up the way they did, because, I mean, behind Jerry Reese, Mark Ross might have been the most unpopular member of the front office to the fan base, uh, which is always kind of interesting because nobody knows exactly what the individual members of the front office do. But hey, you got the title of draft boss and, and look at their draft record. You can understand why, uh, you know, people didn't want Mark Ross to, to be back. And like you said, I, I don't think anyone was shocked that it happened. I just think we all expected it would kind of quietly happen in May after this draft cycle was done. But hey, you know, Gettleman isn't wasting any time. And it does speak to the, the wholesale changes, uh, you know, John Mara referenced. I mean, to him, he thought simply changing the head coach and the GM represent wholesale changes. I guess you're getting into kind of a semantics debate. But then once you, you brought Gettleman, you figured, okay, you know, he's he's been here. These are all his buddies. He's going to keep everybody in place. And then, boom, right out of the gates, you know, he gets rid of a longtime employee in a prominent role. Then you can say, okay, now we're talking wholesale changes. Now, I don't think there'll be, uh, you know, any other big you know heads to roll. Although I was talking to somebody – um, you know, who, who was in contact with people in the front office and said there was a big feeling of uneasiness in, in the front office on Saturday, uh, which is good. That's how it should feel. You went three and 13. You made the playoffs five out of six years. Nobody should be feeling comfortable with their feet up on the desk. And I really feel like that was kind of the, the culture that had been created because it's, you know, such a family atmosphere and such a great place to work. Well, it's also results oriented business and, and people shouldn't, you know, feel great about coming to work when you're three and 13. There should be some uneasiness. There should be some anxiety. And I think, you know, there's the, you know, that feeling of the new sheriff in town and uh you know it's, it's felt in the front office it's definitely felt in the locker room uh, you know i think the players uh you know gentlemen the message he gave to the to the media the message he's kind of portrayed with his actions that also carried through in, in his first team meeting on monday you know i was talking to a player and i just said you know what was his message and, and his, you know kind of what the one line that stuck out to him was you know no, you know no bs will be tolerated and i think that's music to the giants fans ears because so much bs has gone on this year and it's, it's just gotten so out of hand it's one thing to if they went three and 13 because they were a lousy team 
you know, you'd suffer through it. But to go three and thirteen because of all the drama and all the nonsense that went on this season, that's so much tougher to stomach. And like you said, it started, you know, with Bobby Hart, just a guy who kind of represented everything that was wrong, you know, about the last regime. Uh, you know, a, a player who you know didn't perform on the field was just kind of like a, a a lousy influence on the locker room. I know people say, oh, well, how can we never heard about this? I mean, you're not going to report about a guy just you know, kind of being a jerk. I'm sorry, no other way to really put it. I mean, he didn't really do anything in the locker room, just wasn't a good presence and wasn't really well well liked. Um, you know, clearly if he comes in, a guy who should be thankful to have an NFL job and says he's not playing, that tells you kind of all you need to know about his attitude. So uh, I think it's nice to see Gettleman come in and be decisive. But at the same time, these are easy moves. I mean, you know, again, Mark Ross's track record spoke for itself. Bobby Hart is a very easy guy to send a message to. Let's see what happens when he, you know, has to roll up his sleeves and really make the tough calls, you know, Eli Manning and some of the free agents and what you just number two pick that's and picking a head coach. That's where he's going to prove his mettle. But again, as far as first impressions go, it's kind of tough to beat what Gettleman did. No, I think it was important for him to, to make these kind of statements and send this message because I, I have felt, you know, especially, you know, kind of when in Arizona and previous weeks, this team, I felt, is kind of delusional. I mean, you're three and thirteen. You were one of the biggest flops in the history of the Giants organization, in the history of New York sports. I mean, if you go three and thirteen in the NFL, I don't care, you know, how many injuries you had and what kind of off the field, you know, strife you had. You're a bad football team, and I think that the Giants needed to be kind of jarred into reality a little bit of. You can't just say, "Oh, well, this team has so much talent, so much young talent." It doesn't. If you you don't go three and thirteen, if you're that talented, you know. And I think that a lot of those injuries that happened, yes, they, they were they were substantial injuries, and they really crippled them, especially in the offense. But they were zero and four on the way to zero and five when when Odell got hurt, when Brandon Marshall got hurt. I just thought it was very important for the Giants to kind of step back and realize. This really was an embarrassment and a disaster this year. And I think Gettleman has kind of sent that message across. I think that, you know, look, it, this team has a long way to go, in my opinion, to get back on its feet. And I think Gettleman sent that message. And I think the biggest thing I took away from Gettleman was when he said, let's be honest, we have to fix the offensive line. That, I think, is one of the kind of the microcosm of the change that's happened here doesn't seem like Dave Gettleman is going to pretend anymore that Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart are NFL quality tackles. seems like those days are over. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's the thing that jumped out because, again, yeah, it kind of, as you, as you kind of summed up there, that one comment kind of hit on all the delusion and just kind of the, the spin that you've been hearing from the Giants for so long. I mean, anyone could look at the offensive line the last two years or, you know, even longer and say it's a problem, it's a weakness. And you just never could get Ben Mackett or Jerry Reese to even concede that anytime you'd ask a question about the offensive line, they would pivot to, oh, it's not just one position. Oh, it's easy to point the finger at the offensive line. And then Dave Gettleman comes in and just said what is so abundantly clear to anybody who knows anything about football. Like, hey, we got to fix the offensive line. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this damning statement. He didn't rip them. He just said what's just patently obvious, but it was refreshing. And again, it's just telling with how bad, um, you know, Reese and McAdoo were just in terms of public relations and the way they tried to coddle things. Now, I will say it's a heck of a lot easier as the new guy to come in and point out what's wrong. And, it, you know, if you're Jerry Reese or Ben McAdoo and these are your guys, you put this line together, it is it is a little tougher to say, yeah, the offensive line's a problem. So you can understand from just a, a human nature aspect why they didn't, you know, weren't so eager to point out the offensive line deficiencies. Hey, you're the one who put them in place. Um, but, again, it was just it was just refreshing. I mean, again, 
Gettleman has known for being kind of a brash guy. He's not, you know, he said it right out of the gate. He's not worried about feelings. It's a big boy league. You got to put your big boy pants on. And I just feel like that's what is needed, not just with the Giants, just in football. I mean, the idea, like, the, the way that McAdoo and, and Reese treated everybody with kid gloves, it, it just got so tiresome. And it just, you know, it felt like that's a big part of why things kind of got away from this year because McAdoo came in and, you know, he's, again, I'm not trying to go revisit the whole Ben McAdoo era because some of the stuff obviously worked last year, but it was just kind of a country club atmosphere. And even when they won in 2016, you just always had this feeling he never had, you know, kind of full control over things. He definitely benefited from having, you know, a huge investment on the defense and all those guys, you know, played like all pros last year. But it just never felt like he was a coach in control. And now we'll see who Gettleman brings in as the coach. But it does feel like, again, he's going to, you know, whip this thing into shape. You know, no, nobody's feelings are really going to be considered. And, and that's really just the way it should be. It's a bottom line business. The bottom line is this team is 3-13. and 13, uh, So, that you know, they need to change the culture. And, and Gettleman does not seem like he's going to have any problem, you know, coming in and really cleaning house. No, and obviously, look, the, the head coaching hires will be very important. I don't think we're going to spend a, a tremendous amount of time discussing it just because this thing could, you know, change on a dime immediately. I, I we'll get to that later. But I do think that another big takeaway from Gellman's press conference was that he seems to be on board with the idea of Eli Manning being the quarterback in 2018. But I feel like people are kind of taking his words too literally, and I felt like he, he wants Eli back. I think he's okay with Eli being back. But he also seemed to me like a guy like, – look, Dave Gellman, he, he's here. He, he's – this is his big chance. I mean he inherited a quarterback and inherited a quarter, uh, head coach in Carolina. This is his chance to, to pick the coach uh, with John – obviously John Mayer and C. Tish make the final call. But they're going to listen to him. Uh, he could potentially go pick his quarterback now they've secured the number two pick. Uh I feel like he's okay with Eli being back, but and I think everyone's saying the right things, but I just felt like he was leaving the door open, in my opinion, to a scenario where they do kind of finally make this change and move on from Eli. Yeah, I mean, I think everything at this juncture is just, you know, reading tea leaves. Because, I mean, anything that these guys say publicly at all times, you have to take with a grain of salt. But particularly in the introductory press conference, I mean, Dave Gettleman is not going to stand up at the podium and definitively say, Eli Manning's done here. I mean, it's just not going to happen. He's not going to say, we're definitely signing Odell Beckham to a long-term contract. We're definitely not. Uh, He wasn't, he might've been asked about Eli Apple, but John Maris asked more directly. And he said, you know, just some platitudes, but I wants the kid to be back again. He's not going to say anything otherwise. Cause if for no other reason you, ha- you want to try and trade the guy, if you're going to get rid of him. So you're not going to just say, Oh yeah, we have no use for him. He's gone. I mean, what value would he have at that point? Not that he has much to begin with, but my, my overall point is just everything that these guys say publicly has to be taken with a grain of salt. I mean, the comment about Eli, when, when Gettleman, you know, referenced the Eagles game, I mean, that felt just kind of like pandering. I mean, it was, it was, he's had two good games all season and they're both against the Eagles. So, I mean, and, and also Dave Gettleman is known as an absolute, absolute film junkie. I know he can keep saying he hasn't had time to watch the film. You cannot tell me that once he got contacted about interviewing for the Giants job, he didn't sign up on NFL Game Pass, if nothing else, to watch some film, to know what type of roster he'd be inheriting. I mean, if nothing else, he already had interviewed by the time the Giants got shut out by the Cardinals 23 nothing. You're telling me he didn't, you know, flip on the uh, the NFL DirecTV package to make sure he watched that game? I mean, so, again, I'm not saying he's lying. I just think he'd be a little disingenuous when he says that, you know, he only watched, you know, one game. He looked great in that game. I, I think people ran with that a little too much. Uh, I, I just – I don't think any decision, you know, has probably been made definitively, but I definitely think – Eli's future was a big part of the interviews, and I got to think that, you know, whoever John Mara and Steve Stitch hired was going to be on the same page with them. 
but even even within the Eli decision for like 2018, there's still you know different directions things can go. They might just say, yeah, listen, we're gonna bring Eli back no matter what. Get a quarterback at number two. Don't get a quarterback at number two. Eli Manning's gonna be our starter opening day 2018. But again, there's so many layers beyond that because you take a you know a QB uh, at number two and just let him you know kind of apprentice under Eli for a season. Are you committing to Eli long term? I mean, we don't know. We don't know where they stand on any of that. Um, you know, I think all those you know, decisions really won't even become any clearer until they at least have a head coach in because he's going to have some say in it. But I, you know, I obviously think the organization you know probably already knows what they want to do. So uh, it, it's it's so early and it's so hard to say. You know, right now none of us know Dave Gettleman yet. Uh, we don't know exactly, you know, how he handles things like this. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I would say at this point, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I, I can't say definitively one way or another, you know, which way he's leaning there. No, I, I will say this. I think it's free. Obviously, watch enough film on Bobby Hart to make that decision. That's so, <laughs> good point. I mean, you know, that, that, and that, like, look, I don't think we're going to get too much in the game. Uh, they, they beat the Redskins, you know, and on a high point. I still can't believe they went 3-13 and and didn't get Davis Webb on the field, but we, we've done that too many times. Spags was out on a high note. Uh, don't see how he has any real chance to, to get the job long term, but, you know, stranger things have happened. But I, what I go back to is what Eli kind of said on Monday, uh, Baggy Day. He was asked if he was willing to be a mentor, and he basically said, well, we all help each other out. We know that he didn't handle, you know, he wasn't very happy about being benched for Gino the one week. I asked if you'd take a pay cut to stay, and he kind of said, oh, we got to talk about those things, which is kind of a – he's saying no. He doesn't really have much interest in taking a pay cut. I just feel the, the biggest scenario that I see for the Giants is that if they feel they have to take this quarterback with the number two pick, they rarely pick this high. You know, It's kind of a, a, a big moment for the franchise. And they go to Eli and they say, look, if you're winning, if you're playing well, if we're in the playoff hunt – you're going to play next year, and the kid is going to sit on the bench. But if we fall out of the race or you're not playing well, we're probably going to have to put the kid in because he's our future. I could just see a situation where even if Eli wants to be back and the Giants are willing to have him back, Eli says, I don't want to be in that spot. And then they kind of amicably go their separate ways. I think that's the, the big thing that maybe people aren't really hitting on is that they could want Eli back and he could want to be back. But they could just eventually reach a point where they decide that it's not in their in everyone's best interest they can come back. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a totally reasonable uh, potential outcome. I just don't think that Eli can really he can't really dictate what they're going to do in the draft. So it's like if he if he wants to not roll the dice, like you said, of coming back and being a mentor. Well, then, you know, I think he will probably have to go, you know, somewhere else because they can't make their decisions with, again, this, they haven't had the number two pick since 1981 when they took LT and they're hoping it'll probably be another 36 years until they have it again. So you can't make your decision about a potential, you know, franchise altering draft pick with a 37 year old quarterback in mind. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So um, I think the key is they need to talk to Eli, <laughs> you know, Gettleman hasn't met with him yet. He obviously has kind of bigger fish to fry in the immediate future, but the key is to just have some open lines of communication because listen, coming into this season, there really wasn't much of a reason for them to start really addressing Eli's future because you figured, Hey, you're coming off a playoff run. You're ready to make a super bowl run. Of course, Eli's going to be the quarterback. And if, if, you know, things go haywire, we'll address it after the season, but things unraveled and deteriorated so much 
And, you know, we don't have to go down the, the road of how badly they botched things. But I just think the reason that it blew up so bad is because they hadn't had any even preliminary talks that, you know, maybe around week five when they're on five, you could have started just <laughs> dropping the seed and Eli's, hey, listen, if this thing keeps going this way, might need to get the kids some reps and just gauge his reaction before you send out a press release announcing he's getting benched. Um, so I think that's key. And I think Mara, I would assume, has learned because clearly he was burned and, and felt terrible about how everything played out, how Eli got kind of caught uh, in the middle of everything. I have to think. But now that that's on the table, the, the, the one thing that did is at least put it on the table. Um, now that it's, you know, it's not something you have to whisper about. It's been addressed. It's, it's, it's shown that there could be a future without Eli Manning. I think that they have to make sure everybody's on the same page. All scenarios are spoken about because you know, Eli has the no trade clause. So, again, if they go to him and say, listen, we're taking a, a quarterback number two, no matter what, he can say, okay, well, I'll take a trade to these three teams, see if you can make something happen. Or if, if not, just release me, whatever it may be. I think just communication is going to be the key. Cause I think that, again, that is why things were so ugly, you know, with the benching everything this year is because it was just like a, it was thrown at him. It was a 24-hour process, and all of a sudden he's on the bench and his consecutive start streak is over. And there's no excuse for that to happen again. They have, you know – two or three months here to get their ducks in a row. And, and so I think that that, I think that will happen. And, uh, you know, I think it needs to happen. Definitely. I mean, look, Dave Gettleman said that his big thing is communication, that everyone will know where they stand with him. And I think it's something they have to get done sooner rather than later. You're going to hire a head coach around probably around the same time as the, the deadline for all the underclassmen to declare for the draft which is January 15th. At that point, you're going to know who's in it. You're going to know if Darnold's out. You're going to know if Rosen's out. You're going to know if Allen is out. I think at that point, the Giants have to sit down and say, you know, football-wise, early, preliminary, are there two quarterbacks we feel comfortable taking as our as the future of our team? And if the answer is yes, you need to communicate that to Eli and say, we are taking a quarterback. What do you want us to do? How should we proceed going forward? And uh, I guess that's a good place to kind of transition from Eli and get to the draft. Dan, you did a, a rundown of all the Giants' options now that they officially have the number two pick. And I know you've had a lot of back and forth on Twitter and such <laughs> about the running back from Penn State, Ryan Dunleavy, our colleague on the Rutgers beat, his good friend, Saquon Barkley. Yeah, no, it's become, you know, I kind of have these, I kind of wage these campaigns on Twitter for, you know, and, and it's kind of a running joke in the media room for a long time last year. It was McAdoo's over-reliance on the 11 personnel. Uh, lately, it's been the fact that, you know, Spag seemed, you know, determined to, you know, run JPP and OV into the ground, despite the fact that the season was over and there was young defensive ends waiting in the wings. And I can already tell you the new crusade uh, leading up to the draft is going to be, there's no possible scenario I would I would approve of taking a running back with a second pick in the draft I, I laid out all the reasons I mean first of all again you're hopefully never going to be in this position again I don't want to hear about Davis Webb or the Tom Brady was a six-round pick the best way to get a franchise quarterback is to take him at the top of the draft so if you if you think Darnold or Rosen or Josh Allen or whoever is a franchise quarterback and he's there you don't think twice you take him you figure out the stuff with Eli, you figure out whatever else, you just don't pass on franchise quarterbacks. It's it just, that's a recipe for disaster. It's the most important position on the field, hardest position to acquire. So you just, you just do that. It's a slam dunk. But there's also, there's certain scenarios where let's say Darnold goes back to USC. Rosen goes number one. You know, you don't like Josh Allen. And, you know, I don't think Baker Mayfield really should be in even consideration, but you don't like him. Then what do you do? I mean, a lot of times the, you know, the, the thing that GMs and executives fall back on is best player available. And you could definitely make a case that Saquon Barkley would be the most talented football player on the draft board at that point. But I just can't 
approve of drafting a running back at number two. They just, I mean, the value just is not there. It's the easiest position to find talent and it's the most cost efficient position to find talent. I mean, Orleans Darkwa, an undrafted free agent who was a cast off with the Dolphins signs here and he averaged 4.4 yards per carry behind a bad offensive line this year. Now I'm not saying Orleans Darkwa is anywhere near as good or, or as explosive as Saquon Barkley. My point is you can find running backs anywhere and you just look at the you know the two favorites for rookie of the year this year you know Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt third round picks uh, David Johnson you know one of the best running backs in the NFL Le'Veon Bell one of the best running backs in the NFL mid-round picks is I mean listen you can point to Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette that's fine I think they got overdrafted it's just there's no reason to take a running back that early when they're just they're so readily available and they're so cheap I mean Running backs don't make a lot of money, and they don't play for a very long time. So you, why would you pay Saquon Barkley right out of the gates, you know, top-of-the-market running back money when you can get a guy for a fraction of the cost to put up, a, you know, again, maybe he's going to be just this transcendent back. Still, it, it doesn't translate. I mean, you look at the teams who win Super Bowls. The Patriots, other than I think it was Corey Dillon in 2004, have never had like a feature stud running back. The Broncos, and they won with Peyton Manning. No stud running back. I and mean, I'm not just going to go through all the Super Bowl teams, but just winning teams in general, there's no real great correlation. Adrian Peterson, for all his brilliance, I mean, he never made any you know, great playoff run. It's just not a position that really swings the balance you know, of a team's you know, outlook the same way a quarterback does. And then there's other positions, you know, as I referenced in my story, defensive end, left tackle. You know, those are premium positions that you have to pay top dollar for. I mean, look at what Jason Pierre-Paul is making. And I know Giants fans are well aware that, you know, at $15.5 million a year, they all claim he's overpaid. Well, then get a guy in the draft, and you're going to pay him about $6 million a year, like, say, a Joey Bosa, and you're going to get monster production for four years on his rookie deal, the fifth-year option, franchise. You have control over a guy like that at a bargain pr- price. It's just the value is just so much better at those other positions. So I, I just I can't defend take Saquon Barkley. Now, if they had the eighth pick and they didn't have a lot of holes and he was there. Yeah, absolutely. At some point, the value of the fact that he's super talented does make it worth it. But at number two, to me, it's just it's not even a consideration. Honestly, and I know you weren't you were, you were still covering Rutgers then, but I had this whole thing when the Giants were the 10th pick uh, in 2016. And they and I said they shouldn't take Ezekiel Elliott if he had fallen that far. And people, I mean, look, the NFL. There are certain positions in the league. I think the Giants have learned this the hard way that it's very difficult to develop at this point. And running back is not one of them. I, I just think that they have Wayne Gallman, who I think had a, a good finish to his rookie season. Uh, I think he's got to catch the ball a little bit better, but. He's under contract for three more years at an extremely cost-effective rate. You know, Paul Perkins kind of became this forgotten man. Well, you know, he had some flashes as a rookie. He's under contract, you know, for pennies for two more years. So the Giants are set there. I mean, they could re-sign Darkwa. I don't know if they necessarily will, but Darkwa's not going to break the bank. I, I just think you're absolutely right. They need to focus on sort of premium positions. I think cornerback is another one of those positions. Maybe not to the same extent is running back, but, you know, I know Giants fans get very upset, but look, if Dave Gettleman decides he has to move on from Eli Apple, which I think there's a very good chance he, he does do that, I don't see how Apple's going to come back. Although DRC seems to think that, you know, everything can just be what under the bridge and we'll, everyone will forget that he got called on cancer on ESPN radio. But I, I think, and if you decide to move on from DRC and Janoris Jenkins for cap reasons or locker room reasons, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say the Giants can go get a cornerback in the second round that, that plays well as a rookie and they re-sign a guy like Ross Cockrell and they find another veteran, you know, kind of be the third cornerback. I just feel quarterback, offensive line, 
pass rusher. Those are the positions where you have to invest the high-level assets in because it's so difficult to get those guys, and it's very expensive to buy them in free agency. And at quarterback, you can never get in free agency. Yeah, and as far as running back, I mean, we all watched the you know the Rose Bowl on Monday night. Any of the, the top three running backs in that game, the two Georgia guys, the Oklahoma kid, you got to tell me the difference between them and Saquon Barkley is that dramatic? I, I just can't buy it. So, again, I just feel like running back is just such a readily available position. It's crazy to invest the top pick because, again, how good Ezekiel Elliott is, is, there's no difference between him and David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell who were drafted in the second or the third round. And you can even go further down than that. I mean, there's, you know, undrafted running backs who become stars. So it's just, it's just a position where I just think it's, there's plenty of talent. And again, I know people say, well, hey, Tom Brady or Russell Wilson, yes, there definitely are exceptions at every position, but quarterback is just so hard to find top talent. So uh, if, if you got a guy there, number two, that you like, it's a no brainer. Again, it becomes complicated because I, I really can see a scenario where Darnold goes back to USC, and now there is reports that the Browns like Josh Allen, so that would probably make things interesting. To me, Rosen would be my number one choice, but if he's there at number two, I would think they'd have to take him. But if he goes one, you know, I don't think Josh Allen's a slam dunk prospect, so I, I, could, I could have no problem if the Giants choose not to go there. Then it comes really interesting. And again, if you go best player available, you, you mentioned defensive back. Is, is Minka Fitzpatrick from Alabama a guy, or is it Bradley Chubb, the you know, kind of considered the best pass rusher? I mean, the problem for the Giants is there isn't like this stud offensive tackle, which would be ideal. I mean, they and, and they can't reach for it. They tried that with Eric Flowers in the top 10 a couple of years ago, and we saw how that turned out. So you can't reach for it just because you need it. Um, but maybe then you trade back. And again, that's that's always the easy answer. Everyone says, oh, just trade back. Well, there needs to be a team willing to give up a boatload to get to the number two pick. And if, and if you don't like the quarterbacks there, I mean, there might not be a team, you know, pick an eighth or 12th that loves the quarterbacks there either. But, you know, it, it, that would be definitely an option if, if they can find a, a suitor or, you know, someone to match up with there, because then you can move back and then you can probably feel much more comfortable taking a, a Quentin Nelson, the, the guard from Notre Dame at like the ninth pick would seem like a lot better value than doing it at two. Um, but so, I don't know, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, again, you know, you've covered this team for a couple of years. My second year, never had a pick like this. I mean, I think, you know, Eli Apple, 10 and Flowers, 9. It's, it's different when you're talking two. I mean, this, there's not going to be too many options here. We're going to should have a pretty good handle on, on where they, they think, you know, uh, these prospects line up and you know who could be the guy. So uh, I think the first big deadline is definitely January 15th where we get a definitive answer. I, I think Rosen will come out. Darnold seems a little less uh, definitive. But I think once we know that, that's going to really set the conversation a lot. Because until we know for sure, you know, what Darnold's doing, uh, there's there's still a lot of gray area there. No, I definitely think that. And I think that's one of the things that maybe, you know, people aren't thinking about as much. And, you know, I wrote something on Tuesday at NG.com saying, that, you know, Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, uh, he might have better options in the Giants job if, if he was ready to leave New England. And people got upset. But, I mean, you know, look, if Darnold doesn't declare and – you know, he doesn't think that Rosen's the guy. And I think I agree with you, like Baker Mayfield, uh, he's incredibly talented. And I think he can succeed in the NFL, but there's just a lot of noise there. You know, it's, a, and it's just Johnny, Johnny football, deja vu a little bit for me. Not maybe not, you know, quite as bad off the field, but just we've seen guys at that size dominate in college and it just doesn't translate. The thing for me last night was watching the Rose Bowl. Uh, he just doesn't make it any easier on himself. <laughs> I mean, kind of the, the the history, you know, you know, running around a field and and a throat slash gesture. It's like you're not making this this process easier, you know. I, I understand that some people will say, you know, he's just 
has passion and energy, and that's great. But I mean, there's just a lot of NFL teams. I think are just going to say like, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, we know how much the Giants have valued, you know, Eli Manning epitomizes class to, to hand the baton from him to Baker Mayfield. I have a hard time seeing John Merritt doing that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that quarterback is a different position from any other, you know, position on the field. I mean, I think that, you know, you can make that argument about Odell, and I think a lot of people do, but, you know, that's not quarterback, that, that's wide receiver. So I guess last thing before we wrap this up, uh, briefly touch on the coaching search. Uh, as of 10.30 on Tuesday morning, uh, we know the Giants have asked to speak to Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator, uh, defensive coordinator for the Patriots, Matt Patricia, uh, Panthers defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. They're obviously going to interview Steve Spagnuolo. They promised him that. And a fifth name emerged on Monday night, uh, for, now, I guess now former Broncos running backs coach, assistant head coach, Eric Studesville. I hope I said that right. Uh, used <laughs> I was leaving that staff. for you to pronounce. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was on staff for three years with Jim Fossil uh, under the Gi- uh, Giants staff from 2001 to three. So that's the group so far. I know Jim Schwartz is a guy who's been reported on, but as of now, uh, there's no you know confirmation the Giants have indeed requested to interview him. And you know, I look. I, this could change a lot. I assume they're going inter- to interview the Patriots guys later in the week. Uh, Panthers have a playoff game Sunday, so Wilkes wouldn't be able to meet with the Giants until Monday at the earliest. So I think right now it's kind of some names are out there, but no real inklings yet about who the favorite is or where this might be going. Right. And yeah, and again, that's why we're going to be careful here because we don't want to bang the drum that Jim Schwartz, you know, doesn't have a request because it could happen in the next five minutes. So, uh, but the names we know, I mean, I, I would think that the Patriots guys might be at the top of that list. Uh, and McDaniels just seems to be the hottest name out there. So let's just say he's number one on the list. I mean, this will be another big test for Dave Gettleman. Um, if he's your number one guy, can you go get him? Because I mean, you know, you put that, you said you put that piece out, it wasn't super well received. I'm not sure I totally agree with you as much there, uh, but I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, I still think the Giants is, is going to be a desirable job. There's, there's, there's just, it's just a good place to work if you're a coach, other, unless you're Ben McAdoo. You're usually going to have a little bit of uh, time. You got to figure this next coach is going to get probably three years minimum because they do not want to be known as a franchise who's churning coaches out every couple of years. Um, you know, I think there's a decent infrastructure here that. Quarterback session's dicey, but uh, that's kind of neither here nor there. If let's just say McDaniel's is the number one candidate, can Gettleman close the deal? Or if it's Matt Patricia, because he's going to have, uh, you know, people contending for him, can Gettleman close the deal? So that that's going to be again. We talked earlier about how Gettleman did the easy things. I mean, cutting Bobby Hart. I mean, you or I could have walked in there and done that on day one. It's can you do, you know, the the stuff he's getting paid to do is to get the best head coach possible. And again, he's going to have competition for, you know, most of these candidates have multiple, um, you know, requests from teams. So can he close the deal? Um, and, you know, I guess we, we probably should find out pretty soon because uh, if, if a lot of these interviews happen in the next couple of days, then McDaniels and Patricia basically will be off limits, you know, pres- you know, presuming the you know Patriots make their typical deep run uh, for a while. So they'd have to, you know, kind of have a pretty good feeling coming out of the interview because otherwise, um, you know, they're going to really have to double down the reference on the other candidates. So, uh, I think this thing has a chance to play out pretty quickly. I mean, they've worked pretty quickly throughout this whole process as far as, you know, the turnover and getting Gettleman in. And again, the reason why they want to get Gettleman in is to get a jump start in this coaching search. I think that this thing definitely, um, could wrap up pretty quickly and it's going to be pretty interesting to see, uh, you know, how it plays out. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that it's going to be interesting just in the sense that, you know, do the Giants want to sit around? I mean, look, the 49ers waited till after the Super Bowl for Kyle Shanahan last year, uh, and that 
seems to be working out pretty well for now. Now they've got Jimmy G, but right, but that was I, like quote unquote weighted. I mean, obviously that was like the yeah. most open secret in the world that he was. Oh he was no, going. and the Giants could be in that that boat too. I just am curious to see like you know how eager they to like have the whole infrastructure in place. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, I, I just think you know the Niners too. They were hiring a GM and a coach. You know, the Giants move fast to get Gettleman in, and I'm just intrigued to see if they're going to then say, well, we want to move fast to get our coach in. And I just want – I mean, look, I think if McDaniels is your guy, if Patricia's your guy, if Jim Schwartz is your guy, you wait as long as you have to to kind of officially you know, have the press conference basically. But I'm Absolutely. just intrigued to see. Yeah, it's, it's a decision right now that's going to affect the next five, ten years of your franchise potentially, so you better not – make it with a, a three-week uh, window really making too much of a, a factor one way or another. No, definitely. And I don't think the Giants will, but we'll see. I mean, I think McAdoo, you know, Tom Coffin left on a Monday, and I think McAdoo got hired uh, the following Wednesday, so nine, ten days after. Uh, we'll see if the Giants have that kind of pace this time or if it takes a little bit longer. But uh, we'll be here for the whole thing, no matter how long it takes. That's it for us. You can find us on NJ.com, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can find a podcast. Uh, Dan, as always, thank you. Yeah, thank you, James. No problem. That's it for us here. Maybe the Giants will have a head coach. Maybe they won't, but uh, we'll talk about it then.